I didn't question whether or not God was good, but I also didn't trust him fully to be able to rest that those promises for healing were for me. It was, oh, it's done, not, oh, it can be healed or redeemed or it can be used to bring something beautiful, even though it's so ugly. It was, put it away, let's start fresh, let's keep going. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. Thank you so much for joining us for the Your Story Matters podcast, uh, a podcast that's about um, real life and real stories and people choosing real vulnerability to talk through um, what faith has been like through the highs and lows of life. And if you are just tuning in, we encourage you to always go back and listen to, to the stories ahead of this one, um, because really it's the power of the entire series of, of episodes uh, that, that really show who God is and what he can do through the peaks and valleys and the highs and the lows. Um, but for today, we got a really good episode. Um, I'm joined by one of my friends, Erica. Um, Erica has been at Collective since day one. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's a picture that we have from opening day from the back of the auditorium. And every single time I look at it, immediately I see you and Keith. And um, it's really cool to be able to go back and look five years ago and just see, man, these people have been here from the very beginning. Um, Erica is also a leader at Collective, a leader in kids, um, somebody who makes that space warm and um, loving and kind. And I'm really excited for her to share her story today. Um, not an uncomplicated one, uh, but one that's very real. And, uh, and I'm thankful that you're stepping into the vulnerability. And, um, you know, we talk about this all the time. Vulnerability means capable of being wounded, right? It's this idea of like, you don't have the armor to protect you. And, and every single person that sits in this, this room with me and goes in this podcast, that's what they're doing. But they're doing that so other people can see just what God can do in their lives. And um, Erica's doing that today. So thank you for being here. Um, really excited for this. So Erica, um, let's just jump right into it. Um, the heaviest first question on any podcast in the history of podcast. Uh, tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Um, family, what was that like? Siblings and any role that church or faith might have played in the childhood that you had? Uh, I was born in Western Pennsylvania, rural Western Pennsylvania, um, lived there with my mom and my dad and my brother, who is three years older than I am. Um, it was the boonies, but it, we were uh, we were poor, but we were happy. So my, my mom had just like made our home, it was joyful, like I was playing outside until it was too dark to see and then we had fireflies and we did all the things that that you do and so I that's where I was born and where I'm from and then when I was about four or five 
my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And this is the 1980s. So metastatic breast cancer then is not something you come back from. It was hard um, as a kid. I can't imagine it now as a mom. But she fought for us. Um, She did chemo. She did radiation, surgery, all of the things. And even while doing all of that, did every single thing she could do to get us into church. Uh, She still led the choir when she was feeling up to it. She um, did Sunday school. She did all of those things because that was her and that was her life. Um, So hard, but I was nine. I just turned nine and she was 39 and she passed away. Our world collapsed. Yeah. So my father had been really, you know, just spiraling. So I don't have many memories at all from him while my mom was alive. But he just gave up. He became a drunk. He was an alcoholic. He passed out. Those are actually better times for us because if he is passed out, he can't hurt you. So it was my brother and I trying to figure out how to get ourselves to school, how to keep going day after day. There's no joy. There's no church. There's no anything. My mom's friends, uh, I mean, she had a great support network. We had a great support network when I was little, and they tried. They tried and tried, and then eventually it was just us. Yeah. And there was nothing. Yeah. And it's one of the hardest things about pain and trauma. It's one of the hardest things about grief even if they're the best people in the world, their lives go back to normal, but you're still in it. And if anything, what ends up happening is it starts to feel like a lower moment, right? It starts to feel like one of those things where you're like, we felt like we were all alone, but we had people around us. But then when they're not around, you're like, oh, now we're really all alone, right? And that's you guys as kids. Yeah, like 9, 10, 11 years as old. As kids. So we, we did the best we could. <sighs> I say that as a, as a child. As a sure. child, we did the best we could. Yeah. Um, I mean, we still made it to school. My, my dad would get fired from jobs and then get another one and then get fired from that. There were, there were days with no food, no heat, no clean clothes. Um, we just kind of kept going. All the while, the constant, um, you're worthless, you're unlovable. I don't know how we kept going. Yeah. I got to the point I was 10, and I literally thought it could be better if I was dead. What would happen if I fell out the window? It had to be better. Anything had to be better than this. Somehow, though, we kept going. Um, I had my brother. We yeah. had each other. Um, I mean, he's my brother, so... Obviously, he picked on me and did all the brother things because that's what brothers do. But, you know, we had each other to get through it. And and we did. Uh, Things got a little bit better. My my father started dating, um, which, one, it got him out of my house. Sure, sure. (laughs) So, so yeah, you've got to... A 10-year-old and a 13-year-old taking care of themselves, but at least you don't have to deal with the drunk dad in the corner. Um, But he also had to kind of put on some appearance that he cared. 
who's going to want to date someone who's hurting their kids and telling them they're awful? He met my stepmom, and uh, that was like, oh, wait, maybe, you know? Uh, maybe, maybe she'll love us. Maybe this will be what we need to, to be better, to be whole. Um, it was okay for a while. Um, but then she started to really just be mean to my brother, like hateful, vile things. I didn't understand it, but I just, I just wanted someone to love me and like take care of me. I mean, so they got married, um, that kind of continued, um, and then we moved. Uh, we moved to Kentucky, and then he went to college. Okay. Uh, so when he went to college, there was no one else there for her to blame for everything. <laughs> um, and so I was back to hearing that. You're worthless. You're unlovable. But this time, you know, obviously you're a teenager. It's coming from someone different. And you don't have, like, the safety net that is your brother with you. What was also the impact of being in a new place? You know, like, even if you lived in the boonies in in Pennsylvania, it was still what you knew. Moving to a new place, did that bring some sort of hope of, like, maybe there's new friends? Or was it one of those things where you showed up as a student, as as a high schooler going, I don't need people to know what my life has been like, right? Because, like, at this point, you've already been through a lot. And as a teenager, you you had to decide, do I choose vulnerability? You know, people will hear that, you know, maybe they'll hear the, the phrase stepmom. They'll know that she's not your mom. But would they know why? Was some of that stuff out there? Or was it still like, hey, we're just going to pretend like nothing's wrong? You know, my that's what my dad's been doing for years, kind of like building up that shell or... Like, was it known? Oh, I was I was completely walled off. Yeah. Um, because even if I, I heard that, and even if I believed it, believed that there was something wrong with me, believed that there was something unlovable in me, um, I didn't want anyone else to know. Yeah, sure. I wanted sure. to, I, I wanted, I wanted to find a way to fix it. I wanted to find a way to fix myself so that someone would love me. I can see now that moving to Kentucky may have saved my life and my stepmom coming may have saved my life because even though they're hard things and they they might have things with negative you know associations or it's something that changed where I was in my in my body and also in my head and so when I moved to Kentucky I I had great friends. I had friends that that took me to youth group, yeah. <laughs> and and I remember going back and and hearing things that I knew and yeah. things that I remembered from when I was young and from my mom and from songs that she had written about Psalms, mm. you know. And and I knew that, and I knew that, and in my head, and I didn't really understand, but I knew that somehow this was good. Yeah. Somehow this was right. Somehow this was there. I didn't know that it was for me, but it was there. Um, so I, I did. I, I had great friends. I didn't let them know anything sure. about my home. Um, 
or anything, (laughs) but I had them and I had their support. I had great teachers and coaches. They, They showed me that my way out was academics. Yeah. And and so I did. I was like, okay, this is this is how I get out. You know, I still don't believe that I deserve it, but this is how I get out. <laughs> um, so I studied and worked and, and did all that. And then I I got to college. I got as far away as I could with a full scholarship yeah. where I didn't have to pay to live. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay. I'm making it. I'm going to make it out alive. Literally. I'm going to make it out alive. Yeah. Where did you end up going to school? Oh, Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. Or Louisville, however yeah. you want to say it. Yeah. Um, but I got there and it was great. I was, I was free. I was, no one was just pouring negativity over me or I didn't have to listen to people's footsteps before they were coming into a room to know what mood they were in, to know how it was going to react. I still knew I was, okay, God, church, like I want that. I need that in my life. I don't get it, but I know I need it. I'd read the Bible through like three or four times because I am a nerd and I really like (laughs) to read. Um, Like I knew it. I I led worship at the Baptist Student Unions, Kentucky. Um, I was involved in my church, college-age ministry, like all the things like it, it was there because I knew that that was good. But yeah, all that heart junk never actually got cleaned up or exposed. Because um, if you bury it down, you step it way far, you don't actually have to deal with it. So and that is that is one of the disadvantages of college. College is great. And if it's what's best for people, they should do it. But what we don't really realize when we're 18 is it's kind of the beginning of running away and hiding. And because then you get to go somewhere new and be a different person and you have the good things, the good friends and and for you, like the good um, church experiences, but it never washes away the bad stuff, you know, and that's one of the hardest things about our lives and our stories is you can't, you cannot just go, we're starting a new book. It's like, nope, this is a chapter in, in the book that is, you know, who you are. It always hits walls. It always comes to a head. Before we get to some of that stuff, though, let, let's talk a little bit about faith. So you were involved. Um, what was your faith like with God, though? Because it's one thing to be there. And, and culturally in Kentucky, even Louisville, like it's pretty cultural, so people do it. But for you, like was there a closeness with God? Did you feel like, all right, like I believe in God? Or was it like, no, I have faith in God? Because considering all that you've gone through, considering specifically what you went through in light of your mom's passing as well, um, I think it would have been pretty easy for you to be like, hey, I believe in God because my mom believed in God. But like, how is he good? You know, how, how did my mom sing these songs? How did she feel this way? Even even in chemo, even with, uh, like, you know, cancer in the 80s, which wasn't hopeful. Or did you feel like, hey, I, I did have hope. I just didn't quite understand how good and bad things both happen. Like, what was that like for you in college? Yeah, and I've tried to think about this because it's it's really hard to figure out, okay, what was my faith like then? You know, I knew I knew that there was God. I knew God was good. I knew that God, I knew Jesus had come and lived and died for me and that I would have eternity um, with God in heaven. Like, I knew that. I also didn't, do anything or go to the work, go through the work to 
have his word and his promises shape and heal my heart. Sure. I thought, oh, wait, no, I can just close the door on sure. all of that. Yep. You know, it's happened. Yep. It's done. You know, I have a life now. I can, I can live my life now going forward. And I don't have to think about any of the pain or any of the hurt that was before. I didn't question whether or not God was good. Like that, that is the, one of the biggest gifts my mom ever gave me is that I knew it and I knew it was there, but I also didn't trust him fully to be able to rest that those promises for healing were for me. It was, oh, it's done. Not, oh, it can be healed or redeemed or it can be used to bring something beautiful, yeah. even though it's so ugly. Yeah. It was, put it away, let's start fresh, let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is, weirdly enough, in church, a lot of us, that's what we've been taught. And I, I need people to understand this who are listening. This this is not saying that what like your pastors have done in the past is a bad thing. It's just that stepping into vulnerability and stepping into honesty and stepping into brokenness culturally has never been a part of anything. Church, not church, families, relationships. I think for a lot of us, we read scripture and we read about redemption, you know, as you struggle with people telling you you're not worthy and God's word says you are, there's this part of us that's like, we trust it because it comes from God, but do we ever really like feel it? And that's a struggle understanding it versus like allowing it to kind of pierce who you are, you know? And that's, that's honestly one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is so that people can realize like, Hey, both these things exist. Pain exists, but so do all the promises of God. But there you are in college and you've kind of put them in these two separate boxes going, Hey, here's these promises of God. Here's this pain. Let me see if I can stay on the train tracks, you know, kind of as we keep moving forward. It's not just, it's not just wanting to like avoid it or, not wanting there's shame there's shame in in having that or having that label and you don't want that to to stop or to to make people think that you can't do or be or there's no way you are or how is this it's all of that and i mean you're 18 you have no idea who you are you're just trying to do the best you can (laughs) most days and you at that point you'd already you've had to fight for nine years to even get to that point and I'm sure it was like, this is where peace comes from, but like, it's not fully where peace comes from. You know, the hope is that changes scenery, fixes everything. Um, and a lot of times it, it heals some things, but doesn't fully fix them. And so, um, tell us a little bit about what that experience was like, you know, it's good to get away, um, to connect with God, to, to be involved in church and church life. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, no, not there yet. So, um, so as a lot of people do, met a guy in college, thought we were on similar paths, and, and we were, but not the way I thought. <laughs> um, we were both hiding a lot of ourselves. Um, I was hiding any pain or brokenness, um, and he was hiding he was gay. I just wanted to be loved. I wanted a family. I wanted to have nothing from the past affect my future. I didn't want to be weighed down by it. And we got married. I was barely not a teenager. After we got married, he didn't have to hide anything anymore. Um, And so it was all of the manipulation, all of the emotional trauma, 
all of that. And, but but I had gotten out. Yeah. <laughs> I had gotten out, and I was supposed to have this good life now. You know, I was I was a Christian. I I was following that, and and so I thought, well, maybe if I just pray, maybe if I just dig deeper, and maybe if I just do whatever, I don't know what to do. And so I stayed. I stayed through lies and cheating and awful things until he hurt me. And then I left. That illusion and that lie that I could just put everything away was gone. You know, it was it was there. It was, you're unlovable. You're unworthy. You're a burden. I reached out to my church and my college group for help. Um, did not go well. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point in time, I was um, getting ready to start medical school. And so I had something I could pour into. I did that. I, I knew that I could find an identity there. I could find not only an identity in, in medicine, but also in, in helping people. So I got through it. I was in church when I wasn't on call. I um, was part of the young adult ministry at, at my new church, not my old church, that couldn't handle the fallout of a woman getting divorced yeah. from a gay man. Um, but I had that. But it was still very much on the outside. Like it was my, I, I never went deep, even with those people. And I, ha- I had good friends that, that knew me, knew me. But then my church group just knew me as Erica. You know, yeah. Erica, Erica makes desserts. Erica feeds everyone. Erica will, you know, come get you at two in the morning if you need her. Like yeah. that's, that's what it was. So that's that stage of life. And then I, I meet another guy, and I met him through church group. He was older than me. It was great. Um, there were red flags, but, you know, hey, who cares? Because his family's amazing. Sure. They, they have Sunday dinners. They go to every t-ball game, ballet recital, everything all together. And maybe this was my last chance. You know, I'd already marked myself as as broken or damaged. And so I just ignored the red flags. And it got so much worse. He wanted someone to fill his side of the family picture. And that was controlling everything. What I where I went, what I ate, what I wore, but I could never be good enough. And then I found out he was cheating on me and I was like relieved almost like I was exhausted but I was just like oh okay no this is this is a line and this is a clear sign that I can put up with all the other stuff because I'm damaged and maybe I deserve all the other stuff but no this is my line and I'm done how old were you 20 something okay at that point in time had the benefit of being in a church that even though I hadn't done that would accept vulnerability sure um i got involved in a care group i did the hardest thing i've ever done which is to open the doors and break down the walls and really share the rest of everything that had been festering in my heart since i was a little girl because you can't 
You can't heal things if you never let them see the light of day. Yeah. And even if you think you're protecting yourself by hiding those things within you, unless you let God see them and you give them to him, they will always be there holding you back and allowing the lies to continue. So I I got there. It was lots of tears and lots of work. And, um, but I finally, I learned in my heart that not only was God good, not only did he have promises for other people, but he had promises for me and not the version of myself that I wanted the world to see. He had promises for nine-year-old me, for 10-year-old me who had contemplated suicide, for high school me who got let down again by someone who was supposed to love them, by college me who was divorced, by, by me who had been in this extremely controlling, abusive relationship. It didn't matter. God didn't see me like that. God saw me as healed and restored, no matter how I saw myself. And so I allowed his word and people who actually loved me to pour that over me. This is one of the reasons why it's it's every year we talk about finding the right relationships. And we don't spend... Uh, every year we don't talk about marriage. Every year we don't talk about dating. But every year we talk about surrounding yourself with the right type of people because you don't know how good it is until you do it, right? And you mentioned earlier that, you know, going through the divorce, like trying to talk to your Christian friends about it and them giving you bad advice and bad care, you know, and people listening on the podcast, you can put two and two together where that comes from, right? We care way more about people staying in marriages where it's abusive, where there's infidelities, where there's no love, where there's no Christ, than divorce. Um, we hate divorce a lot more than we hate women who are abused, and we hate divorce a lot more um, than you know manipulation and physical, mental, emotional destruction. Um, and it's not to say that like everybody should get divorced if they're not happy. Like it, it doesn't work <laughs> that way, you know. But the hard thing is like as Christians, we tend to die on certain hills of like hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, but wait, this thing is wrong as well, what do we do? And uh, Johnny said it a few weeks ago on his podcast, like sometimes the right answer is just, I don't know. But when you find yourself around the right people, there's this like burden that gets lifted and there's this weight that gets lifted, but then also you get to look back at the other times and go, that's why that sucks so much, you know? Because God (laughs) created us to be with people and like around people who can receive those things. And you know, and it's not to say that your closest friends are gonna have the best advice, the question is, do they have godly advice? You know, it's not going to, they're not going to handle it completely well. Um, but can they have empathy, right? The way Jesus has empathy with us. So putting yourself around those right people created this avenue for you to kind of open up. And there was a lot. You know, one of the things that I, I try to encourage people to do, specifically men to do, um, and I've learned this from going to, uh, it's called Crucible, the men's retreat. The women's version is called Liminal. You know, there's parts of it where they're like, hey, what are the things you struggle with and where did that begin? Because a lot of the times we wanted to deal with the thing that's right in front of us because that's like the most painful. But the reason why that hurts so much is because the stuff that happened when you're nine years old. So you're in your 20, mid 20s, late 20s at this point. You're in your career. Yeah. I'm in my career. I'm happy. I love it so much. 
it's where I am. It's it's the and you you talked about this on another podcast, but I finally killed the spider. Yeah, it's gone. I'm yep. like, you know what? Yep. This is a part of my story, but it does not define me, and it does not negate God's promises for my life, and they're mine. They're they're not for yes, they are for everyone else, but but they're for me too. Yeah. Yes. And and I've I've gotten there, and so I'm I'm just. I'm living, you know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm working and, and doing things. I, my brother and I are, you know, we're both, you know, we came out the other end and we're surviving. He's got, you know, two beautiful girls that I just absolutely adore. And I'm just, you know, chugging along through life. And, um, then it happens. This guy walks in the room and his smile is, uh, it lights up everything and he has this larger than life personality and just irritatingly positive <laughs> and a corny humor and all of this stuff and you know I'm healed but I'm not I'm not gonna let anybody bite me twice yeah. right so I'm like yeah. I don't know about this I don't know about this um but something in my heart that wasn't my dysfunction told me, no, you need to stick around for this. You need to figure out where this goes. And I said, fine, I'll figure out where it goes. But you know what? I'm going to scare him off. I'm going to tell him everything. Sure. Like, I'm, here you go. Here's all the junk in my closet. Like, what are you going to do with it? He wanted to know. He wanted to know. He wanted to be there. He wanted to love me. Not the version of me, but love me. And he shared himself with me. All of those things that, that were in his life. Um, thinking that I was going to run for the hills too. Um, And then we just kind of sat around and we were like, oh, okay, I'm not leaving. You're not leaving. Okay. (laughs) And so that's Keith. That's my, that's my husband. And we got married and, (laughs) and, and with the full like support and counsel of my godly friends telling me I'm not insane. Yeah. And that this was actually something that was good in my life yeah. because they were able to see the, and even my my family, my brother and my sister-in-law said, well, no, you're you actually yourself yeah. around him. Like yeah. we actually see you there. Three months or three minutes later, we were pregnant. Um, <laughs> it was three months um, with our with our first child. And, um, and then a month later, we got a call and said, hey, um, Keith, you need to get transferred to the DC area. And I was like, say what? Yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a practice. I had started from like a scratch, like renovated the office, like first patient in the door, all of that. Um, we prayed and we bargained yeah. <laughs> yeah. with each other. And, um, we talked it out and we were like, okay, well, you know, I think this is something we're supposed to do. So, I left my practice to my partners, and we packed up, and we moved here. Yeah, let, let's let me lean in on that too for a second. So you said that you and Keith prayed together. Obviously, you're praying, you're trusting God in that. So what was that like? Like, what did that faith feel like to have a partner who also was like, "Hey, I'm going to go to prayer," because that's a really big deal. It was. It was more real. It was the real. It had been a a part of like others' lives, but it was like a lip service sure. thing, right? Yep. I mean, the the relationship before that, I, I met him in church group, yep. right? And that was a part of my um, 
I joke with my best friend that it's like you have this box of stuff that you don't want to show anybody, but you keep it and it's your box yeah. and you're not going <laughs> to let anybody in your box. Yeah. But like I had literally ripped the top off and thrown it all in his lap. And I was like, here. And I was like, no. And one of these things is that this is this is the most important thing in my life. This is my Jesus and that's what it is. And I, if we're going to do this, like I need to know that that is also yeah. the most important thing in your life because I can't survive. I cannot live a day without that. And it was. And I was like, oh, okay. He knew what it was like to feel hopeless, to find truth, and to have that truth change you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I do want to encourage people listening before we get to the part where they move out this way. You know, you guys were still young. You've been through hard things your whole life, but like you really started to learn and heal in your late twenties. And I know there are people listening to this podcast who are in their late twenties right now thinking that the pain that they're in is their future. And it's just not, it's not, it does not have to be something that you wait until you're 50, 60 years old with more destruction to decide, oh, I can see the redemption in this, or I can see the restoration in this. It can happen right now if you lean in, you know, and it, it, will, it will not happen on its own, you know, because if you chose not to heal and Keith chooses not to heal, when you guys do meet up, it's the walled up versions of you guys. And there's the insecure versions of you guys and your insecurities plus Keith's insecurities would have collided. But there are things that both of your lives, if you weren't healed people, would have just completely run into each other. Oh, and yeah. there's no way. Yeah. So I do want to just say, if you're in your 20s and you feel like you're stuck in that spot, you know, you can pause the podcast right now and you can step away from Erica's story and start leaning into what does scripture say? How do I surround myself with the right people? Because this doesn't have to be your entire life. Now, the tricky thing about Jesus and the tricky thing about faith is you can find that healing and you can find that peace and you can find that identity. That doesn't mean life gets easier. And even, even Keith getting the job offer and you guys praying and you feel like God says, Hey, let's go to this new place. While terrifying to go to this new place, it was the beginning of another kind of valley. Yeah. So we, we moved here and then we had our daughter. I had looked forward. I had dreamed of being a mom. I kind of wanted to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to to give someone love and security and assurance and, and to, to have them live a life where they knew truth. Yeah. And so we did. Um, she came out blue. Um, and so I'm a pediatrician, and my child came out blue. <laughs> and no one talked to me. No one said anything to me. Um, they just took her. And it was terrifying. Um, there was a, there was a bit where I was like, oh my gosh, did I do something? Like what happened? Like what is going on here? What can we do? And, um, she was okay. Um, three, three or four days in the NICU and she was okay. But, but I don't think I slept for three, four days. I didn't eat. I didn't, I didn't leave. Like they discharged me and I was like, okay, I'm going to limp over to the NICU and sit down in the chair. Um, uh, I, I just, I just stayed and. And just, I felt so alone. I mean, we were in a new place. We hadn't established community. We had our, our friends and our, our church back back in Kentucky. We didn't have that here yet. But she was okay. But I had 
all of the postpartum yeah. <laughs> anxiety and depression and all of that. And this was supposed to be the joyful time, right? So it was supposed to be the, oh, I finally get to be a mom. Like, it's wonderful. And so I'm dealing with all of that. And um, and then Keith's dealing with adjusting to a new job and new demands and, and everything there. And it's, we forgot to rely on each other in sure. that time. And so we we had been missing the thing in our life, it, and we didn't know it, but we, we, well, we probably did. We missed our church. Yeah. We were attending online every week <laughs> back, back in Kentucky. We missed that. We missed our community. We needed people around us, not, not just like individually, but we needed people around us as a family um, that would care and love on our family. Um, so we went to all the churches yeah. everywhere. I had gotten through um, with lots of phone calls home, uh, my postpartum challenges, and um, was was ready to go back to work. And then the funny thing, because it's God, we got in the house that we bought here in, in Maryland because um, we came back to look at it. We, we had to find a house on a weekend because that's what we had. It was awful. And when we came back to look at the one we were in, our neighbor was on the front porch talking to our other neighbor who was also gigantically pregnant. Um, and her daughter was born 10 days after Ava. And so it was that like assurance, like, oh wait, no. For somehow, some reason, like you're supposed to be here, right? Um, one of our other neighbors was like, hey, did you ever think about blah, blah, blah? Um, and I said, no. And um, they said, well, you really should. And so I interviewed, and I, I've, I've been there now, I don't know, six years or something like that, five or six years, and I love it. Through God's mercy, he knew that I needed that before the next thing. Guess what? Baby number two. So we have, um, we have Milo, who's amazing. Like, we were all right. I'm get I'm back at work, so I'm I'm doing that. You know, we're still desperately trying to find a church that actually feels like real. <laughs> um, and then we get this postcard in the mail. Yeah, postcard, the postcards. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I will forever be grateful for whoever's idea it was to send postcards. So we had seen um, a couple of our neighbors did the blessings in a backpack before yeah. launch even started. They don't even go here, um, but they'd done it, and I was like, wait that sounds like church, like our church, like the church that actually cares about people, like not doing it for fun, but like actually wants to feed the hungry. And we got the postcards. And so, and then I wrote it on our calendar and I was like, we're going. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, was, we didn't even get in the building at West Frederick. Like we got in the parking lot and I was like, oh, there's that in my heart again, which is God telling me that you need to pay attention. Like, this is where you're supposed to be. Um, don't care if they're folding chairs. Yeah. Don't care. So uncomfortable. <laughs> don't care if you have to push bins. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is where you're supposed to be. And we walked in and it was, people weren't perfect, but they didn't care because they were loved and they were real. And they knew that they, I knew they saw us and cared about us without even knowing us. And I was like, nope, this is home. Okay, we're good. We're going to yeah. be here now. Yeah. Um, so I had a not quite two-year-old. So I had a one-year-old and a one-month-old. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yep, we're here. We got collective. We're, yeah. we're on board. Yep. Which is a huge honor for us, too, because knowing the church that you guys came from, it, it, I mean, it's an incredible church. And for you guys to walk into collective and even feel like an ounce of that, like it's a huge honor for us. 
speaks a lot to the people who make collective collective. Um, so you found the church, we right? Found you, the church. you found the people. So life got easy. Ha ha. That's, I wish. I know. I know. Just, I'm sorry. I mean, it's always there, but you know, life is never yeah. easy, but it's, it's good. And um, so it wasn't that long after that something was like wrong with Keith. Like something was just not okay. He, um, he got a really bad fever and had a rash and then had, um, had Bell's palsy, which is a, a facial paralysis. So, um, those the, he had Lyme disease. And so I was like, Lyme disease, what the heck is that? We don't have that in Kentucky. Like, what is this? So he did that. He took his antibiotics. I'm like, cool, great. Let's keep moving. You know, um, he didn't get any better. He got worse. He got way worse. He started losing himself. He, he couldn't think. He couldn't process. He, he forgot words. He started stuttering. He forgot how to do basic things. He couldn't work. He couldn't get out of bed. And in the, it took months to get into the, the Hopkins Lyme Center. And when we finally did, they were like, oh, no, he's got, he's got post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And I'm a doctor, right? I'm like, what the heck is this? Yeah. What do I do with this? Um, and they're like, no, this is this is a thing. Here, here's what happens, and and he has to get all this work up and all these tests done, and um, and he did, and it it just kept getting worse to the point where he, the man whose smile had like lit up the entire room, he was gone. Like I just I had this shell of a person who who couldn't even like remember to take a shower or feed himself or what he had just said. The folks at Hopkins said, okay, it'll be probably like two or three years and you'll know if he's going to get worse. I'm like, worse? He's in bed for 22 hours out of the day and only up for two because I like physically make him get up. And I'm like, I have two tiny children. (laughs) I work full time. And you're telling me that it's going to be two or two and a half years. And so we, we, we looked and we thought and, and we, we prayed and we, we cried and he did physical therapy and speech therapy. He did cognitive rehabilitation, (laughs) like all the things and, and continued on and, and nothing was getting better. It was getting worse. We've got these two beautiful children. We'd always wanted a big family. Um, but it was at the point where we sat down and had a discussion, and it was right around Milo's first birthday, and we were like, I don't think we should have any more kids. Like, we can't. Like, I physically can't do this. I don't know what to do. I I feel lost. I'm worried that I'm, I'm like, getting hopeless. Like, how do I, how do, I do this? Um, and God laughed again because I was, you know, almost to my second trimester pregnant with Owen. I just didn't know because I never stopped moving. Um our life had had lots of valleys before, but this time we had collective. We were surrounded by people that, even if I couldn't talk about it, I mean, at one point in time, I was on all three teams here. Yeah. 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 I knew. I knew I could talk about it when I was ready. Yeah. They cared. They looked at me and saw me and saw my heart and saw how they could care for me, even by just a hug or a anything like that. I was not alone. Like I felt alone because my husband was ill and and struggling and and really 
basically only able to keep himself alive at this yeah. point and and not by himself with help he was able to stay alive but i wasn't alone um and not just because you know we always have jesus with us yay sure, sure. but like i had people that loved me because they loved me and would love my kids and i could rest in that and i could come back to that i mean i i did not handle it perfectly sure <laughs> i yelled i cried i screamed i cursed i did all the things yeah. and all the time but it was different. It was a valley, but I knew there was light. Now I have three children, three and under, a, a significantly ill, disabled husband, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm surrounded by people that love me. I'm getting truth poured into my life. I'm having the encouragement. I have I know I know where I can go. And it's different from before because I'm not building up junk in my heart. Sure. Like, it's out. It's there. It's, it's being healed as it's happening. So then we get to, like, the, the semi-happy part, right? So it's, like, two and a half years later after all of this. And, um, you know, I, I really don't, don't remember some of it because yeah. I just, you know, keep the tiny humans alive, keep the husband alive. Yeah. I mean, he grew a, like full-on wizard beard. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Even when he couldn't get out of bed every other day, <laughs> he would come on Sundays, right? Like he could still do it for a little bit of time. And then like, that's what he needed too. And that's what our family needed. So, so about two and a half years after the whole Lyme thing started, um, he told a dad joke, like something ridiculous. And I was like, wait, yeah. you're in there. Yeah. Hey, okay. You know, I, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, we still have a, a long way to go. And, you know, our life is completely different. But it's our life and it's beautiful. And it's, it's what it is because we allowed Jesus to work in us individually as well as in our family. And I have learned more <laughs> about God's overwhelming, abundant, overflowing love through my kids than I ever thought I could. I mean, you look at them and you just like, your heart's going to burst because you can't contain it. And, and that's how God looks at us. I learn hope every day. I have no idea what our future is going to be like, but I, I can take the next step, not because, not because I have to, or not because I just need to go to get through to survive. Like, like I can take the next step now knowing that that's all I have to do. Like my job is to take the next step and God is going to put me where I need, where I need to be. He is going to take care of me and watch over me, my family, my kids, my husband, our marriage. I just take the next step and it's, it's freeing. Yeah. It's one of the beautiful things about trials and and it's in scripture, right? It talks about consider it pure joy when you go through trials of any kind because what it does is it builds our faith and gives us perseverance of faith. And while we would never wish trials on people, while we would never hopefully want to put people in those positions, when you've been through them, there's this reality of like, hey, I can keep going, right? And I've been through that and I felt that and I've seen that. And I've felt alone and I've, I've felt the what ifs and God got me through it. And you're able to look ahead at the unknown that comes next and say, I mean, the worst that can come at it, come at us, isn't going to be 
that much worse because of what God has brought you through. And it's this beautiful thing about trials and it's this beautiful thing about Jesus and trials, right? Because everybody goes through hard time, times, everybody goes through valleys, everybody goes through seasons, but not everybody gets on the other side of it the way that you have and the way that Keith has and the way that many of the people at Collective have where they can look back and go, man, that sucked and I didn't like it and I didn't deserve it and I didn't want it, but I'm okay. And I'm a better version of myself somehow. We can lose our, our health. We can lose our home. We can lose our community. We can lose all of that. But no one, no one can take God from us and his promises and his care and his love. Like, that's not possible. Like, I don't put things in boxes. I don't put that front on anymore. I don't pretend to not be who I am. I still know and I remember that. I remember what that was like. I remember I remember the pain. I remember the fear. I remember the shame. It doesn't define me and it doesn't own me anymore, but I just want people to know that that there is hope and there is freedom and and that it's not this, you know, lofty promise of, "Oh, when you get to heaven, you'll have peace and eternity and you will." That's great, but but God, God means for us to have hope and, and heaven here. And it may not be in our circumstances or our situations. It's, it's, in, it's in his ability to heal every tear, every tear, every broken, bruise, anything, and redeem that. But one of the best things we can do when we've been through those experiences and experienced those pains and those trials is we can then try to give some pieces of wisdom to other people. And it's not to protect them from pain. Like we're not trying to like bubble people with our advice. We're just trying to say, Hey, when you go through this, keep this in mind. You know, when you go through this, know this thing or hold on to this truth, put this in your heart, like keep this here. And so in light of everything that you've shared, and it could be any advice you want about any part of your life that you want, any of the trials that you went through, um, what advice would you share to people that are listening today? It's not over, right? So all of the times, like you think, oh, my life is over, or I'm done, or this is final. Like it is not finished until you take your last breath, right? And and there is no timeline on like needing to pursue healing. There's no timeline on reaching out to, to pursue healing. There's no, there's nothing there. And nothing, there is absolutely nothing that you can ever do to make God love you anymore. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you any less. And that's, that's not because of who you are. That's because of who he is. <laughs> and that's, you may see yourself as a, a combination of all your past experiences and past mistakes and that he sees you every single day. As, as the perfect child that he has created you to be. And he longs for that for you and, and wants that wants that for you. And it, it allows you to be free and to do that. I'm, I'm a helper, right? So I like to help people pathologically. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and part of that Part of that is good because I, I never want anyone to feel the way that I felt sure. in any yeah. of those circumstances, right? I never want that. I don't want that. Um, so if I can, I will. Um, and the other part is sometimes you don't actually have to acknowledge you need help if you're helping everyone else. Um, but for the helpers, it's okay to to be helped. It's actually, and you preached about it last Sunday, It's or CT did, um, 
By allowing someone to help you, you are not only letting them help you, you're letting them go closer to God because you're allowing them to participate in showing his love to someone else, which is exactly what we're supposed to do. Life is too freaking hard to do it by yourself. And so um, don't stay surface. Don't stay hidden. Like, yeah, it's freaking scary. But there are people that will love you for you. If you have heard that that there aren't, it's a lie. And people who love Jesus will love you for who you are and want you to love him and let you experience that love and his love because they know what a difference it's made in their own life. No one is perfect. No one is no one is good. Everyone has stuff. No matter if you have the storybook life everyone has stuff and we all need that so don't settle for lean cuisine on thanksgiving like find the real work for the real don't settle for anything less yeah that's why god created us and the church and community you know and for a lot of people that's the void that's missing in their life they know it's there they feel it but they don't really know how good it is until they get in, until they lean in and start to experience the goodness in their own life. Um, all right, so last question. You know, what what is the the verse that you want to read every day? Scripture that is kind of like stuck with you and that kind of hits you in that place. The first one is uh, Proverbs 3, 5. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him. He is going to direct your paths, right? So um, we have no idea <laughs> what's yeah. coming next in our life. Yeah. And that's okay. It's not my job to know. It's my job to take the next step. It's my job to put my foot forward and love God, love others. Everything else, that's that's his problem. That's God's problem. It's not my problem. I'm going to take my step. That's what I need to do. Um, I can see, again, I see how our paths have have gotten us here. And there's no way to explain that but God. The next one kind of follows me around. So it's Psalm 121. Oh, okay. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from God who made heaven and earth. <laughs> um, he's not going to suffer my foot to be moved. He um, will watch over me. He doesn't slumber or sleep. Um, the sun's not going to hurt me by day, moon by night. I, he will preserve uh, me from all evil. He will look over my coming in and my going out and all the King Jamesy stuff there, but it's forever. And just that understanding that I can't fix my life, I, I was never supposed to fix my life. God is always there watching over me, rooting for me, um, taking care of me. I mean, watching me as I sleep, oh my gosh, talk about learning something from your kids. Can you imagine God like, going up into your room and being like oh, checking on you, you yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like tucking you in a little bit yeah. like you comfy there yeah but he's our father he loves us that's that's exactly what it is yeah those are great erica thank you so much um for your time today for being vulnerable um for being willing to talk about all the things but really for your faith for helping people understand that when you cling on to who Jesus is and his promises, um, it doesn't matter how heavy the storm is, you can get through it. And um, I know 
Uh, Erica would love for nothing more than for her story to be an encouragement for you, um, to be a foundation for you, um, and really just for you to understand uh, as you're listening today that you are not alone. Um, It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter if it's exactly like Erica's story or nothing like Erica's story. You're not solo, and there are people that will love you and care about you. There are people here that love and care about you. They don't even know you. Um, Erica is one of those people, and um, we feel that in this church. Uh, we feel that in this community collective is a better place because you guys are here and uh it's crazy to think that when you guys prayed about moving up here and you felt like god said yes um, it might not have been for a job and it might not have been for any of those things that would have been it's, it's for this church it's for collective and the community that you guys um, have built here and the culture that you've you've helped us create and so thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story with I me today i was done crying <laughs> <laughs> thank you erica thank you yeah.